Welcome to Kissing in a Tree with your host, Kelly Nichols. Romance, intimacy, and self-love are easier when we talk about them, and even more so with someone to lead the way. Here is your host, Kelly. Welcome back to Kissing in a Tree. I'm Kelly Nichols, and today we have a great episode in store for you. Joining us is the brilliant Dr. Rachel Needle, a doctor of psychology and a certified sex therapist. She is also the co-director of the Modern Sex Therapy Institutes, a continuing education and PhD provider company that trains and certifies couples and sex therapists all around the world. Dr. Needle's expertise extends far and wide, but today we'll be exploring a topic that affects all of us in the digital age, social media and its impact on relationships. As we spend more time staring at screens and engaging with online content, understanding how social media impacts our romantic connections is more critical than ever. In this episode, we'll explore the impact of social media on intimacy, communication, and trust. We'll discuss potential pitfalls that come with a constantly connected world, and importantly, learn how to cultivate healthier, more fulfilling relationships in the digital era. Whether you're single in a relationship or somewhere in between, we hope today's discussion will bring light to the complexities of love in the age of social media. Dr. Needle, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Of course. I want to go ahead and dive in and um, tell people at home a little bit more about you. So if you would tell me a little bit about what motivated you into entering the mental health field and kind of what put you on this journey. Sure. Um, So a generic answer, right, is I I enjoy helping people, but I learned this from my mother. So from a very early age, I saw my mother supporting women specifically. Uh, She owns a women's reproductive health center. And um, so I, I, I watched her caring about other people. It really encouraged me to do the same. Um, and I found that people were comfortable talking to me about things and that they weren't comfortable talking to other people about specifically their reproductive health and sex. Um, and so it was really a natural progression for me. I, I've always been curious about what makes people tick. I like to understand why people do the things they do. So it was just always so fascinating to me to to be in this field and to continue studying. That is so interesting. I imagine that growing up in a mom who that is her career, that things like words like vagina and penis and sex just wasn't taboo in your home. Is that true? Is that a correct assumption? A hundred percent. I think my brother who's 10 years older than me grew up thinking that a diaphragm was a frisbee, but then learned very quickly what it was. <laughs> And so everywhere, (laughs) I'm sure I can imagine. (laughs) Did, do you feel like growing up in that environment where it was just so natural to have these conversations has kind of really formed you into someone who can just go into these conversations without shame and really connect? A hundred percent. It was um, a blessing to be able to talk, be able to talk about these things, ask questions, have my friends come over and ask questions. Um, And, you know, I, I took my first, I read my first Dr. Ruth book right after off my mother's uh, bookshelf when I was in fifth grade. So I was like, Ooh, this is great. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Dr. Ruth. I, she used to have a TV show. Right. And I remember I would be like flipping through the channels when I was young. And I just remember the stereotypical Dr. Ruth putting a condom on a banana. And I remember thinking like, I don't know what this is, but this is very interesting. <laughs> 
So I have a, a very similar experience. I also wanted to ask, you've you've led and participated in published clinical research. This is kind of, you know, your bag. What topics most interest you for the purposes of clinical study and what subjects can only be accurately evaluated when you're looking at the data? Yes, so I think most things. So in order to answer questions and to really know um, what we're talking about and to understand behavior and um, answer just, we need to have research on it, right? How do we know certain things are accurate without clinical data? Um, mm -hmm. So I think that research is incredibly important. Um, I've gone through different phases in my career and, and journey where I studied a number of different things. I used to really be interested in looking at the sexual side effects of um, cancer and cancer treatment. Um, so I did a lot on that. I did some research looking at, um, you know, insurance companies and what they cover when it comes to those topics. Mm -hmm. um, I did a lot on domestic violence and, and battered woman syndrome specifically, um, some on substance use and then a whole bunch on sex. And um, recently I'm uh, been doing a lot on the, the impact of social media on relationships, which is what today's topics on. So that's mm -hmm. the, that's what really has me um, sort of excited about research these days is just learning more about how the internet in general and then social networking sites specifically are playing a role in our mental health in relationships, not just romantic relationships either, but that's what my current research is on. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. That is something that um, obviously we're going to talk about today, but I think from a clinical standpoint, it also has to be interesting because the internet really isn't that old. Like when we look at the scope of humanity, it just happened. And so we are really trying to kind of catch up with emerging technology and how it kind of interacts in our interpersonal relationships. Some studies regarding the impact of social media on self-esteem, body image, and mental health of individuals have been well-documented and circulated throughout the media. What are you finding about the impacts on relationships? Yeah, I think a number of things. I mean, we know that social media is impacting relationships for different reasons and in different ways. So let's start with time, time spent on whether or not there's something going on there. And, you know, so irrespective of jealousy, we know that social media usage in general can impact relationship satisfaction such that the more social, more use of social media there was, it was impacted and led to less comfort and closeness. Um, and then for those who have a more insecure and um, insecure attachment style, it also led to feelings of abandonment, right? Something was taking, mm -hmm. taking place of attention as opposed, you know, rather than just you. So um, the time that somebody spends, spends on social media can impact a relationship. So whether it takes away the time that they get to spend together, quality time. So instead of, even if you're just watching a TV show together and one is on their phone um, the entire time, that can lead to feelings of both abandonment. It can lead to distrust. It can just lead to frustration and distress. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's one thing that we're seeing um, also in terms of um, people with anxious attachment we look, I looked in my most recent research at factors such as that we would think, you know, how would these manage anxiety, sharing passwords, discussing social media concerns with a partner and viewing partner social media. And um, it's interesting because two of these things. So we found that having your partner's password, 
and discussing social media more frequently did not mediate or moderate the anxious, anxious partner's concerns about social media. So essentially, you know, if you're of an insecure attachment, like, and you have somebody's password, you're just going to check more, which is going to create more anxiety. Mm -hmm. And chances are, you're going to find something that you're uncomfortable with, right? You may not find that they're sending naked pictures to somebody, but you're going to find something that creates more concern and, and alerts you. And that leads to a discussion and feeling more insecure and more abandoned and like, and more jealous, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, Contrary to what we thought we'd find, um, we found that communicating with a partner about social media usage, um, while you think that'd be beneficial to the relationship, we actually found the opposite, um, that those who spoke more frequently about it were more, um, uh, were, it did not benefit the relationship, right? They were more distressed. Um, so having conversation more frequently might not be as effective as we think. However, my guess is, is that had to do more with the kind of conversation and the way the conversation went, which I did not assess for. So mm-hmm. I'm still not convinced that communicating, I think that is the key to navigating this. It's just the way you communicate is incredibly important. And it has to be less about what's allowed, what you're comfortable with and, and you know, ways to talk about um, how you feel about social media use, how it impacts you, your um, feelings, how it impacts your belief about the relationship and just having conversations about that. Um, and then um, for those who fear that their partners will leave them, they try to control more social media use because they think that if their partner is not involved in social media, they won't be tempted by anything or they're less likely to be tempted. And so they try to control it more and that backfires. Yeah. As you would uh, yeah. <laughs> it seems like the research into this has really not only found things you weren't expecting, but even kind of the opposite of what you thought. Like you said, you felt like communication would kind of solve this issue, but it seems like that isn't true. Do you feel like that's indicative, not just because not just on the way that they are communicating, but also what they are communicating. Cause I would imagine people who have conversations about their partner's social media use. It's usually because the partner who is bringing up that conversation is concerned, worried, jealous, anxious. So do you think those feelings are affecting that communication and that's why you're seeing those results? Absolutely. It's, it's not coming up and being communicated about my guess would be until there's concern and an issue. So the way that it's probably communicated in those times has more to do with the fear of abandonment and anxiety, which can dictate the way a conversation goes. Very different Mm -hmm. than just having these conversations from the beginning, what we're comfortable with, why, are we on the same page? Mm -hmm. Um, Which I think is very important with anything in a relationship, right? Because we're all very different in what we find comfortable or acceptable or what we want in a relationship. Um, So, you know, having conversations even from the beginning about not related to social media, about how do we feel about relationships with ex lovers or ex partners? And, you know, what does that look like? And how are we going to communicate about that? And what's our comfort level? And, you know, so I think that that trend, you know, is getting to be more important as social media takes over part of our lives with um, in such a, such a strong way. Mm-hmm. 
I, I imagine that since the start of the pandemic, it has even taken over our lives even more, right? Have you noticed any notable changes in how couples are using social media in the last three and a half years? Um, I, I think, you know, people have been spending more time in front of a computer, especially given a lot of people have transitioned to working from home. And, you know, and that didn't change. Even when people went back to the office a lot, still continue just to work from home. So mm-hmm. it's very easy to just have, you know, be monitoring it all day, you know, whereas mm-hmm. maybe when you were full-time in the office, you didn't do that. Um, so I think that people are using it more and that can, again, create issues within their own lives and within relationships and the way they feel about themselves and their partners. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like it is because of that? Um ease of access. Like when you're working from home, your boss isn't going to walk behind you and see that you have Facebook open. Right. So do you think that having it just right there has made us just continue to turn to it again and again, rather than turning to our partner for connection? Yes, absolutely. And that creates a huge issue because when you are, even when there are uncomfortable feelings coming up and anxiety in your life, when your go-to is just to scroll instead of to talk to your partner, even if the, the concerns aren't about the relationship, um, mm-hmm. that's the best takeaway, or to turn to somebody else or to turn to the whole world or all your friends and post it, you know, right? people do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's it's, and now people are starting to use that as a indication of, um, how important they are, how popular they are. So they're constantly like looking at that for reinforcement um, as opposed to themselves or their partner or partners. Yeah, that external validation rather than internal. Um, I also imagine that social media has changed the way that we view our partners because we are always kind of seeing the other fish in the sea, right? They're always right there. So social media encourages users to only portray the best part of themselves, right? Whereas when we are living with our partners, we're seeing all of the terrible things all day long, right? Like every time they leave their dirty socks on the floor, we see it. And that isn't on Facebook. So do you think that that helps contribute to the grass is always greener somewhere else mentality? Yeah. I mean, I think social media as well as dating apps and, you know, it's like shopping these days. Um, but, but yes, I mean, we, we, it's important to remember that people put on there what they want you to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, most people, there are definitely some people that, you know, put on when they're having bad days or they broke up with somebody or they're struggling, but more often than not putting up pictures and experiences and statuses you know, that are positive and show us in a positive light. And the pictures we put in are only the best ones. We may have taken 50 and put up two because those are the ones we look best in. Um, So it's very easy to try to compare yourself to others, to uh, try to get reinforcement for um, both internal and external traits. Um, Mm -hmm. And that, that can create a lot of issues because you might not ever be able to get that much from a partner or partners, you know? Um, So the expectations have gone up and that need for constant reinforcement, um, as well as, you know, it's a way to connect um, very quickly and easily with Mm -hmm. people from all areas of your life and time periods in your life, which used to be a very difficult thing. Like if I knew you from middle school and we didn't keep in touch, chances were I'd never talk to you or see you again, right? It's not like I'm going to write you a letter after 15, 20 years, you know, Mm -hmm. now, we're reconnecting with everybody from all times in our lives. 
Yeah, we have, it is weird to think that like we have access to so many people from our past with just one click. Um, and it's interesting that you bring up how that affects relationships, because I would imagine, you know, if you are 50 and your high school girlfriend is now on your Facebook friends list and y'all are messaging, that's not necessarily cheating, but it might be right. So I imagine that all of that kind of muddies the water that being able to instantly access people from your past makes things harder. And you've seen that in your practice as well. Absolutely. And, and you're right. It's not, it's not cheating, right? Well, first of all, you have to understand, like, it's important to figure out like what have people decided that the boundaries of their own relationships are, you know, and that that's, what's important, but it just makes it much easier to cross the line. Right. So it can start very innocently that you and I, you know, we just start chatting. Wow. You know, how, how have you been? What's going on? It's great to see you. You look so happy. Oh, well. And then you have like an innocent conversation. Then it progresses to, well, I recently got divorced and, you know, all these things happen. Then I, you start leaning on me for support. Then we start talking more and more Then maybe now, right now you can audio and video chat on Facebook or, or I'm using Facebook, but social media sites, you know, most mm-hmm. of them. So maybe we just said, Hey, I'd be great to see you. And then we do one. And the next thing you know, we're communicating all day, every day. Um, so that is not always how it progresses, but it is, that is sometimes what can happen. Um, and so it might seem very innocent and then it might just progress to more. So again, it also depends on how secure you are in your relationship. For some, that's not an issue, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's That's innocent. You can have other relationships in your life. I'm not threatened by that. Um, but specifically for people that are more insecure in their relationships, they're not as comfortable with those things. Mm-hmm. I I absolutely agree with you. I appreciate you highlighting that. We have so much more to talk about. This is just the tip of the iceberg, but we do, we do need to head into a short break. So stay right there. Dr. Needle and I will be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Willow Intimacy offers body-positive sex and relationship coaching to improve your relationship with others and with yourself. Transform your sex life and schedule a virtual appointment anywhere in the U.S. Visit willowintimacy.com today to schedule a free consultation and start your journey towards more fulfilling relationships. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. No relationship is perfect. There's always room for improvement. But sometimes knowing where to start can be challenging. Willow Intimacy proudly serves women, men, and non-binary clients and comfortably coaches straight and gay partnerships. Take the first step and schedule a free virtual consultation at willowintimacy.com today. We're here to support your journey towards healthier relationships. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.
Welcome back to Kissing in a Tree, hosted by Kelly Nichols. Have a question for Kelly or her guests? Email them at show at willowintimacy.com and you might just get your question answered on air. Once again, that's show at willowintimacy.com. Now back to your host. Thank you so much for staying tuned. This is Kelly Nichols, and I have been talking with Dr. Rachel Needle. She has been talking with us about the impact of social media and how it affects our relationships. Right before the break, we were talking a bit about kind of where is that line between is this cheating? Is it not? Obviously, that is something that each couple has to kind of figure out for themselves. But I imagine that social media and the ability to just slide into someone's DMs has led to many conversations and couples about kind of where that line is. How do you see engagement with specifically sexualized creators, male or female, affect relationships? I'm sorry, that last part, how do I see? How do you see engagement with sexualized creators affecting relationships? I'm talking about if someone's husband likes a model on Instagram's photo, or if a woman even likes her old boyfriend's photo on Facebook. How are you seeing that kind of social media attention to the opposite sex affect relationships? Um, In a huge way, specifically for those who have more insecure attachments, right? Um, That are worried about that. But, But certainly like there are people that have people on their, you know, as, as friends, quote unquote friends who they don't know, right? And, a, and there are a lot of relationships that start on, you know, from social media. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I see you're a friend of a friend. I friend you. So, and, and you know, for people not in relationships, cool, right? Um, for those in relationships, that can be a little bit more tricky. But again, this, this show, you know, highlights the importance of having conversations about what's comfortable and what's not. Certainly seeing, you know, partner partners continue to like the same person stuff over and over to love that could be misinterpreted. So, you know, but that's not on the person liking them, but what, what is the meaning behind whose stuff you like versus whose you don't. And there is research that shows like profile monitoring, for instance, right. That it can actually be implemented in healthy relationships. So it can aid in partners in the development of trust and security by monitoring. However, Studies have suggested that utilizing social networking sites as a mean of sur- a means of surveillance, right, of your of your romantic partner can be hugely detrimental to the relationship. So mm-hmm. when you engage in a in surveillance as a mean of like gathering information, you're likely going to first off find something. The same way if you have passwords, you're you're likely or look through somebody's phone or their computer, you're probably going to find something you're not 100% comfortable with. But that doesn't necessarily mean there's anything there. It's just, you know, you're the more you look, the more you're going to find. Mm-hmm. So and then we know that the more time that you spend monitoring, the more jealous you're going to get. You know, so if you're surveilling their information, then you're going to see things that you perceive as threatening in the relationship. And thus, you're more likely to just feel jealous. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially because if you are dedicating so much of your mental energy into monitoring what your partner is doing on social media. Like that sounds exhausting. (laughs) So I can't imagine that it would, you know, help a healthy relationship to grow. Right. Um, you've talked a little bit about, um, you know, behaviors on social media, but 
are there any behaviors in social media that are definite red flags? Like you mentioned, liking someone's photo might not mean anything. Do you have any tips of things that someone should be aware of when it comes to social media behavior and their partners? Or do you think it's all just individual? I mean, I think it's very individual, of course. I mean, because it depends on what your relationship agreement is Mm -hmm. uh, or agreements are, Um, you know, because what, what, you're okay with might not be something I'm comfortable with. And so my partner partners and I might've come up with some, you know, so I I would say crossing the boundaries of what we've discussed and, and what our contract says is a concern. Um, So I think that's important to think about and, and to make sure that if things are uncomfortable that you talk about them. I mean, you know, we also know that like those that are dating, like when you have disagreements, about things like social media, relationship satisfaction goes down. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we want to make sure that we don't get to that point. Instead, we're talking about these things before we get to a point of disagreement and disappointment. And when do you think that is? When should conversations about like what I am and am not comfortable with when it comes to my partner's social media use happen? Because obviously that's not something you want to sit down on the first date with, right? <laughs> it's like, where does Let's it kind of about what I, Yeah, that would definitely <laughs> probably be a concern and the relationship probably wouldn't go further. Um, I, I think that it's something that happens in an ongoing relationship, especially when you decide what are our relationship commitments to each other, um, mm-hmm. what are our boundaries in the relationship um, in, in general. So I think it's an ongoing conversation about what we're comfortable with both in real life, right? Like out on the street and- um, and, and on the internet, mm-hmm. I think, um, I always recommend that people have conversations about what exactly is cheating because that is so individualized and what I might consider cheating, you might not consider cheating. And so I think incorporating social media use into those conversations can be really beneficial. Have you seen in your work with couples that once they kind of have those conversations of this is what I'm okay with, this is what I'm not okay with, you know, when you do this, I feel this way and having those kind of boundary setting conversations, do you see in your practice that that helps the longevity of the relationship and the level of happiness? Yeah, I think that the more we can understand our partner or partner's comfort with something, um, the better partner we can be. Um, we might not be on the same page, but you know, it, it depends how that conversation is had, right? So like I said, with my current study, like it actually showed the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm guessing that had something to do with the way it was communicated. I mean, I don't want to be having these conversations with you nonstop because what we're having them nonstop in a certain way, it likely is because I'm not trusting you and I'm questioning what you're doing, mm-hmm. right? And that doesn't feel good to most people and is going to lead to, you know, disagreements and and disappointment and negatively impact feelings about the relationship. Um, so, you know, it's not something we want to be doing every day, but, you know, we do relationship check-ins hopefully once a month. And maybe that's something on that agenda, mm-hmm. you know, or are we comfortable with where we're at? And, you know, is there anything that we want to talk about related to that? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I come home and share, like I, you know, I've been talking to Kelly a lot. I knew Kelly since middle school and I'd say uh, so impressive that she's doing this podcast and super cool. And I'm sharing and to somebody that is secure in our relationship, they wouldn't be threatened by that to somebody who's not, they might say, you're just talking an awful lot about Kelly, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. Especially when you talk about attachment styles. I mean, obviously attachment styles, 
matter in our relationships so much, but I think social media use is something where it's particularly impactful because if our partner is already feeling, um, like we don't have a strong connection and then they are seeing my behavior online, I definitely see how that could sow seeds of doubt and mistrust. Right. And that's Um, an important point because the, the better we feel about our relationship, the more connected we feel, the less most of a lot of the less, a lot of things matter. Right. Mm -hmm. Like even little things like you not taking out the trash, which bothers the hell out of me. Right. Really doesn't bother me much. If I feel really connected to you, like big deal, I'll go take it out, you know, Um, or if I feel like other or I think other areas of our relationship are great. So the more connected we feel, usually the you know, and so there's also some research I trying to make sure I quote it correctly. But um, basically that if um, for people that um, are in a photo with their partner um, on social media, they're more likely to be content and uh, feel positively about the relationship. Um, Interesting. And is that if the photo is posted to their partner's social media or theirs, or do you know? Oh, their partners. Their partners. Yeah. That makes total sense to me because you feel like they are acknowledging publicly that we are in a relationship. And I think especially for women, that sets the tone of like, okay, he really is in a relationship with me. There's no one else on this side, right? Or at least no one that has access to this Facebook. <laughs> right. So I, I, that makes total sense to me. I do want to switch. Go ahead. I'd say that it has a lot to do with personality, uh, characteristics, attachment, security, self-esteem, you know, rather than like gender specific, but, but, you know, there seems to be something there. Sure. Yeah. I do want to switch gears just a little bit to talk about something that um, made headlines last week. So I don't know if you saw, but Sarah Brady shared screenshots between her and Jonah Hill, whom she used to date, where um, it seemed like it was showing his attempts to control her social media content and her online behavior. What is the interplay between social media and abusive relationships and controlling tactics? How do those two things kind of interplay with one another? Yeah. And so, and I'll tell you, obviously I, I recently heard about it. I don't follow celebrities and that uh, often, um, but certainly there was some, you know, manipulation and power and control uh, going on uh, and some are likening it to, I know, you know, abuse and there is that component. Um, I'm always hesitant when you don't know more about a relationship or a person. It's kind of like, I won't diagnose somebody just oh, sure. story or, you know, so I want to be careful not to do that. Certainly. Um, people have agreements in terms of thinking that things they send are private versus, you know, um, that you could, you know, just show anybody anything that I've texted you or any messages I've sent you. And, um, but, but certainly there, there's, there was a, a, a manipulation tactic going on there, um, showing of his security and attachment style. Um, and, and I think he says it, right. Someone re- actually read it to me this morning, knowing I was doing this podcast, like you really should know about this if you're doing a podcast on social media and relationships. So, um, <laughs> so, um, I was able to hear the text. Um, and yeah, there's, there's, he, he's saying, I'm not okay with these things and trying to control what it is she does, uh, what picture she puts out there. And, um, and, you know, throwing around obviously these psychological terms, which mean very, you know, different things at times, but, what he's saying is I'm not comfortable with this. And again, could have to do with um, how he is in relationships and it could be something that is controlling and manipulative. And it could also tell us a lot about how he feels about himself, given that his comfort level isn't such that 
you know, he feels he can trust a partner to, um, you know, take pictures and dress like this. And especially somebody who that their job is to be in a bathing suit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. So the, the background there is, um, the photos, we haven't actually talked about it. So for those of you at home, who don't know what we're talking about. Um, her job is related to, I think she's a surfer. So she has to post content of her in bathing suits. And he was saying that he was uncomfortable with that. So I appreciate your opinion on that. I also um, think it's a great example of couples finding themselves in conflict related to social media use, which obviously we've talked about a lot today. Um, other examples could be ex- excessive screen time, like you've mentioned, or concerns about secretive behavior. Do you have any recommendations for establishing healthy boundaries and negotiating digital habits in a way that nurtures the relationship rather than kind of feels like someone nagging? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think always, you know, doing some things together. Is, is fun, you know, looking at things together rather than separately being on, you know, your phones um, mm-hmm. is nice, like looking through memes together or scrolling through your social and like, oh my gosh, you see what Kelly's doing? That's so cool. And you see what Jen did yesterday. And, you know, I want to try that. And, you know, being able to share in those experiences together. Um, I also think specifically when you are together, putting um, some boundaries and, and ideas around time that we spend together. And that's not time, you know, you're not allowed to be on your phone. I'm in here doing a podcast yet. My partner can't be on their phone in the other room. Like, you know, it's more about um, when we're connecting. So, Hey, when we're having dinner at night, like, could we not have our phones nearby so we can really focus on being together the same way we'd say, can we not have the television on? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) When we're having sex and we finish, could you not pick up your phone three seconds after Um, that's actually a, a one I hear all the time right? Oh, really? Like literally we finished, had this great sexual experience. And next thing they do is grab their phone. And I felt so yeah about that. Um, so that's a big one. Um, and I think, you know, I know in one relationship I used to be in and I get calls, you know, day and night and I run a bunch of businesses. So, you know, you kind of got to be comfortable with that if you're in a relationship with me. Um, but we decided, okay, at this time at night, we're both just going to put our phones away. Um, and after that time, like if someone really needs me, I mean, you know, my family needs me, you know, they, they have my house phone number. They're going to call that if they need me. So I know that if it's an event of an emergency, I'm not, not available. Um, Mm -hmm. but we're going to make sure that we spend time together and that our phones are down by this time. And that's, you know, makes us feel good and gives us time to connect on the day and, you know, not be distracted. That is something that I have implemented in my relationships in the past too. I'm the oldest of five kids. I come from a huge family. And so my phone rings all day long. And so even though those people are important to me and I want to have time to connect with them, when I, especially in a new relationship, I make sure that like, Come seven o'clock, I am off the phone with my sister, my aunt, my cousin, whoever, so that I can spend time with my partner. You also mentioned um, being really um, connected when you're using your social media and using that as something you can do together. And I think that that's great advice. It's also something my husband and I do. We, since the beginning of our relationship, we will like TikToks that we see throughout the day. And then we get together at night and show each other the TikToks that we've liked. And he will send me memes on Facebook Messenger. And so that way we use it as a point to connect. And it's also a great way to like talk to your partner about what you're seeing. I think that when you use social media in that way, it kind of 
instead of it being a solo activity, you are now kind of bringing your partner in and it can be a moment of discussion. And oh my gosh, that was so funny, right? Do you um, experience that in your practice as well? Is that kind of what you mean when you talk about using social media together? Yeah, as you would with any other activity, right? Sharing in it together can, you know, be a way to connect more and also to feel better about like if you're sharing your social media, it's not like you're looking, you know, you can say, you know, I'm really proud of my friend Kelly, look at what she's been doing. Or you can say like, oh gosh, it looked like, you know, she didn't have a great vacation. And then you can go through and like, enjoy things that people, you know, family, friends have done together and look at funny things and talk about issues that come up that you see posted. And how do you feel about that? So it's, it's definitely a great way to connect. And in your, in your opinion, someone with an anxious attachment style, do they handle that type of social media use better because their partner is sharing their social media. So it feels like there's nothing to hide there. You know, it depends. Um, because again, sometimes what you see might be uncomfortable. So like, you know, even if it's nothing that, you know, you and I haven't communicated at all, we're just scrolling through and there's a picture of you and your, my partner thinks you look great. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, there's Kelly again, you know, yeah. and so that might make someone start to feel uncomfortable um, if, you know, they knew I had a thing for you back in the day or you and I had a thing together, um, you know, maybe that isn't as comfortable. So it can, it really depends on the person. Got it. Okay. Um, but it, it can, I mean, anything, anything shared with somebody who's feeling insecure about the relationship or worried, um, has the potential to be read into more or misconstrued. Got it. Well, you have been just a wealth of information. I knew you would be, you have been so helpful and informative. I know that a listener at home is going to want to be able to follow you and see what you're up to. So tell me a little bit about the projects you're currently doing and where people can kind of follow Dr. Needle. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so I have a number of ways that you can follow me. So on social media, on Instagram, I'm Dr. Rachel Needle. On Facebook, I'm Dr. Rachel. Um, and then I um, run the Modern Sex Therapy Institutes, which is a continuing education and certification training company. And we do everything from training certified sex therapists and people in specialties like trauma and somatic and um, alternative relationships, et cetera, et cetera, um, for both therapists, educators, counselors, and coaches, and anyone in the sexuality field. So check out modernsextherapyinstitutes.com and all of our social media under that same name. Um, and then I have a website, drrachel.com. Um, and a group practice full health psychological center. So I have a lot of different th- ways you can find me. And I'm currently trying to do more research in this area and hopefully going to write a book on it. Oh, I can't wait. Do you have a release date for the book or is it just early? Processes oh, I, am, right? I am in the early stages uh, from six years ago of just writing when I have that spare time. <laughs> Well, I know that that book is going to be amazing. I can't wait for it to be out. Good luck while you're writing. Thank you so much for sharing what you have today. Um, We are going to head into another quick break, but stay tuned because when we come back, I will be answering your questions. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. No relationship is perfect. There's always room for improvement, but sometimes knowing where to start can be challenging. Willow Intimacy proudly serves women, men, and non-binary clients and comfortably coaches straight and gay partnerships. 
Take the first step and schedule a free virtual consultation at willowintimacy.com today. We're here to support your journey towards healthier relationships. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Willow Intimacy offers body-positive sex and relationship coaching to improve your relationship with others and with yourself. Transform your sex life and schedule a virtual appointment anywhere in the U.S. Visit willowintimacy.com today to schedule a free consultation and start your journey towards more fulfilling relationships. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Kissing in a Tree, hosted by Kelly Nichols. Have a question for Kelly or her guests? Email them at show at willowintimacy.com and you might just get your question answered on air. Once again, that's show at willowintimacy.com. Now back to your host. Thank you so much for staying tuned. We are back. I am Kelly Nichols, your host, and I want to just thank Dr. Needle again for being on for our first two segments. She was so helpful and informative. Um, I'm going to get to answering your questions, but first I want to take a second to plug our health clinic for the week. As always, this is not a sponsored portion of the show. This is just information that I feel like is important for you to know. This week's clinic is HEAL or the Health Equity Alliance in Maine. They provide comprehensive and culturally competent sexual health care services, including consultations, HIV and HCV rapid testing, and prevention and risk reduction services at no cost. It is completely free. They currently offer in-office, curbside, and take-home telehealth testing, as well as free, safer sex supplies like condoms, lubricants, and even dental dams. You even have the option to call ahead and order the supplies you need for easy and discreet pickup. For more information or to donate to this wonderful organization, please visit MainHealthEquality.org. Now we are going to go ahead and head into the Q&A portion of our show. This first letter is from a listener. It says, I feel so out of place. Every girl loves receiving messages from men. I can't stand men because they blow up my phone. Most men I've, that I've met boss me around and act as if I am committed to them after only a few days or weeks of talking. I pay all of my own bills, but they always act so entitled to my life. Not all men, but most of the men that I dealt with are big babies. They always complain about what I am and what I am not doing. Is it bad that I hate talking to them? 
So thank you so much for this question. I do want to kind of talk to you about a couple of things that are here. So first off, you say every girl loves receiving messages from men. So that makes me question kind of what is the age dynamic here, especially with the rest of your question. Um, so I first just want to talk about, are you 16 and you're dating 20 year olds? Because that, that is an issue, right? But assuming that all of you are of consenting age, um, I do want to kind of encourage you to question the power dynamic there. Um, cause it seems like at least the men who are talking to you or the men that you are pursuing are kind of wanting you to be sub, um, subordinate to them. So I do want to talk about kind of the power dynamic and make sure that before you pursue anything, you are pursuing a healthy relationship dynamic. And it doesn't seem like so far you have been. So um, that's the first thing. And I also want to talk about setting up some firm boundaries about what dating you looks like. You get to decide what being someone's girlfriend means to you. It doesn't have to be what your boyfriend says it does. It doesn't have to be what your husband says it looks like, right? You get to decide how you show up in the relationship as long as you are doing that in a healthy way. So I would encourage you to set some firm boundaries about what you are and are not going to do in a relationship. So you say that they complain about what you're not doing. So that makes me um, think that they're complaining that you're not pulling enough of your weight, probably around the household stuff, because that is typically what these conversations look like. So if that is the case, I encourage you to, um, reevaluate and, and state directly what you are and are not willing to do for your partner. I'm not willing to do your laundry. I am not willing to, you know, cook dinner and clean it up by myself or whatever that is. So have those conversations that can be really important. Um, especially when you are starting off in a relationship, it is important to kind of set the expectation for what it's going to look like. Um, and that is healthy for you and it's healthy for your partner. I also would encourage you to have some conversations about what your commitment level is. So you say that they act as if you are committed to them after only a few days or weeks of talking. So that tells me that they think that y'all are in one place and you don't feel that way. So that means that you need to have more conversations, especially if this is a repeated pattern that you are seeing in your life. It makes me wonder if you aren't, um, maybe just not communicating clearly enough about what commitment to you looks like. And that's okay. You don't have to be committed to any one person ever, right? But if you are wanting to eventually be in a monogamous relationship with just one person, but you don't want to start off that way, I encourage you to have those conversations about, you know, until we go on date three or four or 10 or 12, whatever your number is, whatever your boundary is, um, I'm not going to be committed to you. You're not my boyfriend. I'm not your girlfriend. We are just dating. I am free to see other people. You are free to see other people or whatever that looks like for you. You get to decide what that looks like, but I encourage you to communicate about it in a healthy way to your partner. So that way you're both on the same page because otherwise it isn't fair to them and it's not fair to you. Right. Um, I also encourage you to kind of set a timeline for when those stages can be reevaluated. So, like I said, if you're saying, I want to go on six dates before we use the term boyfriend and girlfriend, or I want to go on 10 dates before we're exclusive, whatever that is, set that expectation and that timeline. So that your partner knows, okay, when we hit this milestone, whether that's a number of dates, a timeline, whatever it is, um, at that point, we can reevaluate where we're standing and kind of decide to move forward with the relationship and become committed or to kind of take a break and explore other options. 
So it's all about communication. I think if you communicated with your partners a bit more, that would probably save you some of this heartache. Now, um, you're also talking about men are telling you what you are and aren't doing in a relationship. And it seems like that is a repeated pattern. So I also want to encourage you to listen to your partners and evaluate, are their needs being met, right? And that doesn't mean that you have to meet them. If your partner is telling you, you know, in my relationship, I expect my girlfriend to wash my boxers and that's not something you're willing to do. That doesn't mean that you have to meet that need, but at least having the communication and knowing where um, you're both standing and what you both need will be very healthy for you. And I think it'll also help you feel like you're talking to people who deserve your time and who meet you where you are, because it really seems like that's the problem. It doesn't seem like you are having a problem with all men. You're having a problem with the men who are in your circles, the men who you are talking to. So I encourage you to kind of set healthy boundaries and communicate a bit more in order to kind of weed some of those out. And hopefully that will make you have a better time. I hope that answered your question. We're going to go ahead and move on to the second question today. And that is, I am a fat guy and dating is so hard. No women pay me any mind on dating apps. And I feel like it is because of my weight. I am nice and funny, but no one gives me a chance to show them that. What can I do to get more matches online? This is a great question, especially because I feel like we have a lot of media that talks about how hard it is to be a fat woman. And that is true. Being a fat woman is just hard. But um, being in a bigger body and being male is difficult too. And so I think that it's important to highlight those struggles. So I appreciate you sending in the letter, but I also want to talk a bit about kind of what you can do and also what anybody in particular can do to help their online dating presence. So the first thing I encourage you to do is post accurate photos of what you look like, whatever you look like today, post a photo that accurately reflects that because I think that, um, you should be proud of your body. Number one, right? Like you should never, um, hide your body. Your body is beautiful. It is what you live in every day. It is the one thing that you can never get rid of. So make sure that you are working on your relationship with your body to be in a healthy and happy place. And then once that is done, post photos of what you look like accurately, let people know this is my body type, because I assure you there are women out there who are looking for exactly what you have. Um, so it might not feel that way. Right. But part of that might be because you're not posting photos of what you really look like. So I encourage you to do that. If you aren't already, um, I also encourage you to make your profile, um, really highlight who you are as a person and what you bring to the table. And I'm not talking about finances or your height. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your hobbies. What do you like to do for fun? What do you do on a date that you feel like women really appreciate? Like say an ideal date with me would look like this, right? Put some meat in your profile that isn't just basic one or two word answers. Because I remember when I was dating online, every guy profile that I saw had very little effort put into it. And so when someone is just looking at two pictures of your face and a few words about you, it makes them hard to want to connect with you. Highlight your personality, highlight what you enjoy, highlight what your life looks like. Because ultimately, if you are dating online, you're probably trying to find someone who meshes well with your life. So I encourage you to accurately reflect whatever your life looks like. So for me, when I was dating, 
I love to play board games. So I made sure that I put that in my dating profile because I wanted a partner who would enjoy that activity with me. It was super important to me. So I encourage you to do that. I also encourage you to um, highlight anything that you feel like um, showcases your personality that isn't hunting and fishing because the only men's profiles that have any personality is them holding up a fish that shows us one hobby. Women are really looking for something more. We're not quite as visual creatures as men are. So we typically need a little bit more, um, mental engagement. And so put more work into your profile and I bet you will get, um, more matches. We are going to go to one more quick question. It says, for some context, my partner is your stereotypical narcissist. If he hurts me and I address it, I'm told you're always mad and I miss the old you. We got into it last night and today he texts me like nothing is wrong saying that he loves me. This happened so this happens so often that I don't know what to say anymore. All I I can think of are appropriate responses that I've already said, and they don't seem to matter. What do you tell a narcissist after they hurt you and then say that they love you? So um, narcissist is a term that's kind of thrown about a lot lately. So I would encourage you to um, seek mental health help. So go and see a therapist, even if you're not willing to leave this relationship or even take a a step back from this relationship to um, kind of reevaluate. I encourage you to get in therapy because that will give you the tools in order to kind of navigate this in a way that's not going to cause you more harm. It's really important to be able to set boundaries. And sometimes that that means that you need some help with a therapist to kind of sit with someone and go through exactly what is healthy and what isn't. I also encourage you while that process is happening to continue to ground yourself in reality. So a lot of times, if you are in this relationship where you have a big blow up fight and then they act like nothing is wrong, um, that is a sign to me that they might be gaslighting you or they might be avoiding and just trying to not um, talk about the issues at hand. So I strongly encourage you to ground yourself in reality and the facts of what is and isn't happening to you because if you are in a relationship with a narcissist, they can really twist you around. So it's important to kind of stand firm in the truth. And before you go into any conversation, remind yourself of like this, these are the facts of what happened. This isn't me putting emotion into it. I'm not saying, oh, he was such a dick to me. No, he was rude. And this is exactly what he said. Really frame the reality of what happened and try to take the emotion out of it because that will help ground you when you are in the moment talking to him. Um, It will also help if you end those conversations with him once they are no longer productive. So if he starts name calling, if he starts, you know, gaslighting you, if he starts threatening to leave the relationship, all of those things can be signs that you just need to end the conversation and say, okay, we will either readdress this later or we will come back and um, tonight and talk about it again. I encourage you to kind of put a timeline on it so that way both you and him know what to expect. I hope that that helps. I know that being in a relationship with a narcissist is really um, harmful, so I do encourage you to get help. That is the end of our show. I would love it if you would send me an email with your questions to show at willowintimacy.com. Otherwise, until next week, deepen your roots, branch out with love, and keep growing. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Kissing in a Tree. 
We hope you learn something new and that you use it to enrich the relationships in your life. Until next time, we hope you feel loved.